Welcome to the Hills. All of you watching online in our large uh, online community, all of you in person, if you're at West Fort Worth, Keller, or North Richmond Hills, I'm glad you're with us today. Your pastor is full of thanksgiving. I am thankful for the way God showed favor on the Women's Conference. And I am so thankful, not just for those of you who attended, but the great number of you who served so selflessly so that your sisters in Christ could receive such a blessing. And I am thankful to be a pastor of a praying church. We're asking for nations and generations. This vision was birthed in prayer. It has been bathed in prayer since it was launched in January. In fact, you might not know, each Wednesday from noon until one, Taylor Walling does a wonderful job leading an hour of prayer that we put on our Facebook and YouTube page. You can join us as we ask for nations and generations. And now, of course, we're launching 40 days of prayer leading up to our harvest offering. We have these uh, prayer prompts that you can be a part of. And all of you can join us, including the children. I love this idea of getting our kids praying for our vision. Parents jump all over this. Think about it. We're asking for the next generation. Well, one way we're doing that is discipling the next generation to pray for nations. And so I'm so thrilled by all of it and full of thanksgiving. To open your Bibles to Hebrews 11. We're in a study called Faith Worth Remembering. Now, I'm going to tell one of my favorite golf jokes, although it's not as funny as it was 20 years ago. You'll see why in a moment. So a guy who's in his 70s walks into the pro shop and says to the pro, I think I'm going to have to give up the game. Why? I can still hit the ball, but I can't see where it goes anymore. Pro says, well, tomorrow I'll line you up to play with my uncle. He's got eyes like an eagle. So he shows up for his tea time. He's an old man on the first tee. Who are you? I'm the pro's uncle. I'm going to play with you today. How old are you? I'm 98 years old. I need someone that can see my ball. No problem. I've got eyes like an eagle. So he tees up. He hits his drive. He turns to the old man. Did you see it? Did you see it? The old man says, I sure did. Well, where did it go? I forgot. So <laughs> the Bible frequently stresses the importance of the discipline of intentional remembering. It's one reason why at our church at every campus, we take communion every single week. Now you might be from a tradition that that wasn't the custom. You know, in the early church, they took communion every single day. Why every week? We don't want to ever get away from remembering the story that grounds our faith. The core of our faith is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And communion reminds us intentionally of that story. Another thing we do on purpose is we tell and we retell the stories of people of faith in the Bible. People who had a faith worth remembering. That's what the author of Hebrews is doing in chapter 11. 21 times he says, by faith. And he says specifically, that's why we remember them. And so when we intentionally remember their story, it helps us practice a faith that the next generation won't forget. So we're going to look at some of these great stories and we're going to start with three that go all the way back to the start of the Bible. So read with me in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 4. 
By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, who had warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So the author takes us back to the very beginning of recorded biblical history. It was a time when all the people on the earth were separated into two camps. There was the line of Seth, a godly line. Seth was one of Adam's sons. And then there was the line of Cain, another of Adam's son. And it was a line of people that chose wickedness. And several times in the Bible, you find the phrase, the way of Cain, it is never a compliment. What the Bible is saying is that in the earliest days of recorded biblical history, the great majority of the people that lived on the earth uh, dwelled in wickedness, in rebellion, in oppression, and evil. In fact, it says that God noticed Genesis 6. He saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. By the way, one of the very first things God, the Bible wants you to know is that God sees a wicked world. I know we live in a wicked world today and it seems like no one's noticing, nothing's being done about it, justice is going to go unmet. No, the very first thing the Bible teaches is God notices the wicked. He notices the injustice of the world. Iniquity does not escape his notice, but neither does integrity. Because God never loses sight amongst all the wicked of a moral minority. So it says in chapter 5, Enoch walked faithfully with God. In chapter 6, Noah was a righteous man and he walked faithfully with God. I think that's what God intended for Adam and for all his sons. That he would walk with them on the beautiful earth he made for them. Now what's particularly interesting about these first three guys... In the rest of the book, we, uh, chapter, we read about people who, ha- and we have dialogue recorded. But in their three stories that the author mentions, they don't speak. There's no record of anything Abel ever said. Enoch never speaks. You can read the entire flood account, and Noah doesn't speak one time. Now, remember, each week we're learning what kind of faith is worth talking about generations later. And here's the big idea this week. That faith worth remembering walks the talk. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. He has showed you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. All through the Bible, we are told, walk with God. Now, what does that metaphor imply? Well, it's, it's saying that you refuse to live a compartmentalized life. That this is the part of my life where I 
hang out with God. And over here's all the rest of my life where God isn't welcome. No, to walk with God is to joyfully welcome his presence in every part of your life. God does not just want to meet with you at an appointed time and an appointed place. God wants to be with you all the time and in every place. But here's the challenge. Most of the time, we are in places where most of the people have chosen the way of Cain. So how do I walk the talk if it means I'm almost always going against the flow of the traffic? Well, these three guys are going to teach us how. Here's the first thing we learn. That God is pleased by an obedient walk. That walking with God means going the direction that God says just because he says so. That when it comes to obeying, faith worth remembering has a just do it attitude. It says in Genesis 6, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. He just did it. Chapter 7, Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. And apparently, Noah never talked back. He just walked forward. Now, this is the big difference between what we talked about last week, believing God versus believing in God. Now, let me illustrate with the story of Abel and Cain. You can read about them in chapter 4 of Genesis. They both brought an offering to the Lord. God was pleased with Abel's offering. God was not pleased with Cain's. You see, evidently God had given revelation about what kind of offering he wanted. It says in Genesis 4, in the course of time, literally at the end of days. And so there was a time set when they knew this is when we bring an offering. It says they brought it to the Lord. So there was a place. They knew when to bring it. They knew where to bring it. So you assume God said, and you know what to bring. Now, Cain brought a grain offering. You can actually read about those in the Bible. What's the problem with that? Well, they were for thanksgiving, but never for atonement. God had said, if you sin, you will die. That only death can pay the price for sin. And so Abel brought a slaughtered animal. Because as the Hebrew writer said himself in chapter 9, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, that's a whole sermon for another time. The point I want to make right now is that you might think, well, he doesn't have any faith. And you mean by that, they don't even believe in God. No, no, no. You can believe in God and not have any faith. You see, what Cain wanted was a relationship with God on his terms. Cain believed in God. Cain brought offerings to God. But he did it on his terms. That happens all the time. I believe in God, but I don't like the sexual ethic in the Bible. I'm not doing that. I believe in God, but I don't like God telling me who I have to love. 
and who I need to forgive. And what I do with my money is my business. And I believe in God, but that whole Jesus is the only way to God is way too exclusive for me. That's not faith worth remembering. That is non-faith. You see, walking with God means doing what He says. It means following where He leads when you, you don't know where He's leading, when you don't like where He's leading. Obedience is easy when you understand and when it's what you wanted to do anyway. But walking with God means I'm going to go where He's taking me, even if I'm not sure I want to go there. In fact, that's why C.S. Lewis says the most frequently spoken word in heaven is going to be, oh. Oh, that's what God was doing. Oh, that's what was behind what was going on. Oh, that's why I needed to go through what I went through. And let's be real honest. For most of us, when we struggle to obey God, we don't have an information problem. Do you really need another sermon on forgiveness before you let go of the bitterness you have in your heart towards somebody? Do you really need another Bible study on the importance of community before you join a small group? Do you need to listen to one more Dave Ramsey podcast before you decide God wants you to be generous? How many times do you have to hear Jesus say, go into all the world to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before you decide to get baptized? We don't have an information problem. We have a surrender problem. Faith worth remembering. Let's God do most of the talking. And it allows the voice of God to drown out the voice of the crowd. Because remember, when you walk with God, you're in the minority. And so God is pleased by a resilient walk. I, you know, I don't know who came up with the phrase moral majority. But let me tell you, the moral majority has not existed since Genesis 4. Faith worth remembering will always swim upstream. And the level of difficulty will often be matched by the level of hostility. It's interesting, there's almost as much in the New Testament about Abel and Enoch and Noah as there is in the Old Testament. And this is what John says about Abel and Cain in 1 John 3. Why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil. And his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say that Abel was condemning Cain. Abel was just being righteous. And Cain hated it because it convicted him. And so he attacked him. And the Bible says you can expect that. If you just do the right thing in a wicked world, they will resent your righteousness. Uh, Peter said... Non-believers think it's strange that you do not do the many wild and wasteful things they do, so they insult you. Jesus said, 
If you follow me, you're choosing the narrow path, not the wide path. You're choosing the narrow path. And you need to resiliently stay on it, even though you're going against the flow of traffic. Now, think about Noah for a second. Now, I'm speculating a little bit, I'll admit. But we know that Noah, it says in the Bible, did not become a father until he was 500 years old. You think your kids are waiting a long time to start a family. Okay. What was his mama thinking? He didn't get on the ark until he was 600 years old. Now, God had said when you saw the wickedness, my spirit will only remain with man for 120 years. So most scholars think Noah got the revelation to build the ark before he even became a father. At that time, it says, Genesis 2, 6, that the water came up from the ground, not from the sky. No one's ever seen rain. Now, just let your mind wrap around this. So there's Noah out in the country building a boat he has never needed. To survive a flood he has never experienced. Caused by rain he has never witnessed. To save a family he doesn't even have. Do you think down at the local tavern they told some Noah jokes? They said, we're going to put you in a Noah farm. You think maybe his boys had trouble getting dates. And what happens when you live in a world increasingly hostile to faith, you want to have an ark mentality and just get inside something and just hide yourself from the world. No, the ark wasn't to escape the world. It was to save the world. God is not willing that any should perish. The ark was a witness to the world. Judgment is coming. Repent and start walking with God. Walking with God means we engage the world as witnesses to an alternative narrative that can actually save the world. But that means, like Paul said, sometimes you just might have to be a fool for Christ. So I'm going to retell one of my favorite all-time stories. I heard this story over 25 years ago, and when the guy at church told it to me, my first thought was, that's a preacher story. So he told me the name of the person that told him the story. I called that person, talked to him on the phone, and got his own personal promise. This actually happened to me. So he's a student at the University of Texas. He's taking a course called Organic Chemistry. A thousand students start the course, only 200 finish. It's very hard. The professor begins the class on the first day of each semester by saying, now we're going to talk about the origins of things, and we're not going to bring faith into the conversation. So we're going to get the God question off the table right now. And he holds up a glass speaker. I know some of you believe in God. How many of you think if I drop this beaker and it hits the ground, it will not break because of God? And each semester, he cowered the students into silence, except this guy. He holds up his hand. He says, I believe God could keep that beaker from breaking if it dropped on the ground. The professor said, I'll give you one minute to pray. So he stood up and prayed for the whole class. He said, Lord, you're God, whether that beaker breaks or not. But in order to witness to this class and to this professor, I pray it will not break in Jesus' name. Amen. The professor smirked, dropped the beaker right on his shoe. It rolled unbroken across the floor of the class. And a thousand students stood up and cheered. You see, Noah wasn't saved by being inside the ark. He was saved by the faith that was inside him. 
He stayed the course a lot longer than he stayed on an ark, which is the third thing they teach us about what it means to walk with God. That God is pleased by a patient walk. Now, when I say that it doesn't record them talking, I'm not saying they didn't. We know better. Peter said in 2 Peter that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. The whole time he's building that ark, he's telling people who ask, this is why I'm doing this. Judgment is coming. Turn your life around and start walking with God. It took faith to drive in nail after nail with no rain, but it maybe took more faith to preach year after year with no responses. But faith worth remembering governs life in the present by promises about the future. And I think that's where the story of Enoch becomes so important. Maybe you don't know that story. It's just kind of tucked away in Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 4 is all the descendants of Cain. No ages are given. But in Genesis 5, you have the descendants of Seth with their ages, I think for a reason. And right in the middle, it says, and Enoch walked with God. And he was no more, for God took him. He didn't die. He went straight to heaven with God. Now, you do a little math with those ages, and you realize when God took Enoch, the only person in that line who had died yet was Adam. Seth was even still alive. Why does that matter? Why would that have encouraged the faith walkers? Think about it. God had said, if you sin, you die, and Adam died. And what's the point of walking with God if the curse wins? If we're all just going to die and the curse wins, why not just go the way of Cain? But then Enoch went out for a walk with God, and as one little girl put it, they got so far from home that God just said, well, why don't you just come on home with me? And all the descendants of Seth heard, Enoch is with God forever. In other words, if you will walk with God, you can anticipate victory over the curse. That triumph is on the way. That death does not get the last word for people of faith. I read about resistance fighters in France during World War II. They were discouraged and beaten down. They're living in enemy-occupied territory. And then on their clandestine radios, they get news of D-Day. The Allies have stormed the Normandy beaches, and they're moving toward Paris. Now the enemy is afraid because liberation is coming, and their spirits were renewed. I think the same thing happened to the faith walkers when they heard about Seth. Faith worth remembering, refuses to live an intimidated and a discouraged life. It just keeps taking the next right step. Yes, it may be a long walk. It may be a while before we see our vindication. But vindication is coming. That speaks to us as a church as we think about our vision. Especially today, we're talking about praying for Livingstone International University. That's our Boldest and maybe our longest go. Right now, that school is just a sapling. Someday, it's going to be an oak tree. It will be bearing fruit 50 years after I'm gone. 
And East Africa will be filled with lawyers and politicians and business owners and school teachers doing their careers from a Christ-honoring perspective because people like you and me just kept walking. You see, the next generation needs the story of the people who went before them and walked the talk. And this generation needs a minority report as well. And so I told you, we don't have a record of them talking, but we know they did. There's a little book at the very end of the Bible called Jude. And in that little book, the writer talks about Enoch. He says, Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they've done for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken about him. What was Enoch doing? He was warning his world. God is on the throne. He sees the wickedness. He is coming to judge it. Repent and start walking with God. Now, I know some people are thinking, Pastor, if we talk about judgment, we will offend people. Listen, if we don't talk about judgment, we will offend God. Abel and Enoch and Noah remind us God takes sin seriously. And God puts the world on notice. It says when Cain killed Abel, God said to Cain, his blood is crying out to me. I hear the call for justice. You think God has gone deaf? Does he not hear the cry of the girl being sex trafficked right now? Does he not hear the cry of the person being manipulated by an evil and wicked landlord? The person put into slavery. The Christian being persecuted for their faith right now. The child being sexually abused. God hears the cries of the people who are abused by the wicked. He's the same God. And justice is coming. And we, by our walk, put the world on notice. You see, walking with God is a warning and a witness. These stories remind us the final word belongs to God, but they also remind us the final word does not have to be judgment. And so in the very next chapter, the Hebrew writer has this wonderful insight. He says, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, the blood of Abel called out to God for justice. But God also hears the word of another blood. A wooden ark has been replaced by a wooden cross. And on that cross, the cry for justice was satisfied. Now God hears whenever the blood of Jesus speaks for sinners. And that's a story we must never forget. 
we tell and we retell and we retell and we retell the story that there is a blood that doesn't cry for justice, but it preaches grace. And how does the world hear that story? The way you walk. So keep walking. Keep walking with God. I close with this illustration about a man named Bill Irwin. He started on a mountain in Georgia and he finished on a mountain in Maine. 2,100 miles. It's called the Appalachian Trail. He's not the first man to walk that trail by himself. He was the first man to do it blind. Bill Irwin's a recovering alcoholic and a committed Christian. And he chose for his mantra, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. So we walk by faith, not by sight. He had no GPS, a map, or a compass would have done him no good. The only thing he had to help him was his dog. Let me point out, cats would have been no help. Okay? Just stating the obvious. He estimates that he fell 5,000 times in his eight-month journey. That's 20 times a day. When he finished his journey, he had cracked ribs, bruises all over his body, more scrapes on his hands and knees than he could count. But he kept walking. And over 30 years later, we remember his walk. We still talk about it. The next generation needs the story of your walk. In fact, this generation does too. So let's pray. And we ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you help us walk well. Help us walk obediently, resiliently, patiently. Help us keep walking when it is hard, when we're criticized, when it seems that no one notices. Help us to keep walking when it feels like wickedness is winning and righteousness is losing. Help us keep walking. Help us walk in such a way that our righteous would convict those who would prefer to be wicked. And help us to walk in such a way that those who are tired of being wicked know there's a better word and a blood that speaks mercy. And so God, help us to walk well like Jesus did. And in his name we pray, amen.